0: Good morning. Today's scripture is scripture reading is from Acts chapter 11 verses 1 to 18. Entitled Peter explains his actions. This is the word of God. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, The circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up, into, pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning, everyone. Those of you who don't know me, my name's Greg. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, yeah, it's a joy to be here t- together in, in this uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, Canadian snowy January day. So who here enjoys making IKEA furniture? enjoys. Oh, yeah. I gotta, there's at least a couple quick hands, too. We're going to have to chat afterwards, you know. You bond over shared, shared experiences. Now, not just who is, enjoys, but who's actually good at making Ikea furniture. Okay, good. Hey, I saw a couple hands didn't go up, so there's some honesty in this room. But. Now, for those of you who don't know what Ikea furniture is, IKEA Furniture, IKEA is a store, it's from Sweden. Um, They actually figured out this ingenious way to make new furniture quite uh, more affordable. And they do this by making you put it together yourself. So instead of paying for someone in a factory to put it together, you actually save money by making it yourself. So it's good for the consumer, uh, except for those of us who don't like to make IKEA furniture. So for example, say you buy a desk... What you get from the store is you get this cardboard box, or two or three, depending on how big the thing you're making is, and it's filled with all the materials. So you lug these giant boxes home, you open the boxes, and you find the most important thing in the box, right? And anyone who's done IKEA knows, this is the most important thing in the box, the instructions. Now here's the thing about the way IKEA furniture goes together. There is very little that's intuitive about them, right? (laughs) So (laughs) they don't start where you think they would start. They always start with the piece that you'd think would be one of the last pieces that you put in. A lot of pieces, of course, when you pull them all out, a lot of them look exactly the same. But don't be deceived, (laughs) right? Because some of them are exactly the same, but some of them are just like slightly different. there will be like a little pinhole somewhere in the piece that makes it a completely different piece somehow than the other ones. And then, of course, there's all these screws, and a lot of the screws look the same, because some of them are, but some of them are just slightly different. So do not be deceived by what you think. You have to. You have to go to the good book, right? You have to, or you're going to be in trouble by page 12. And this is where my wife and I, are. we diverge in our personalities, Monica feels things out. She's playful and she's creative. So if she's making a meal, for example, she goes, the recipe asked for this, so maybe I'll just put you know this, this much in. <laughs> or how about I'll put this in? Or I think this might actually taste better. Or oh, I missed this earlier, so maybe I'll just add it in now. And maybe a little bit more. But and then her meals are really great. Me? Give me the recipe. <laughs> I need to follow it to a T, step by step, measure everything exactly as it's supposed to be and the food always tastes adequate. <laughs> right? Anyone who cooks knows that if you are tied into those instructions, it's not going to be there's something about love that has to is there, right? But with IKEA furniture, unlike recipes, I'm the goat. That means, for those of you who don't know, greatest of all time. Oh, hey, we got some learning going on here. Yeah, goat. If you you hear your grandchildren (laughs) saying you're the goat, that means you're the greatest of all time. So Monica cannot follow step-by-step instructions if her life depended on it. And our life is better because of it in many ways. But me, I pour over every single page, paying attention to every single detail. I check it all twice before I even complete a step. Following instructions, doing everything in the proper order. Step one, step two, step three, do not stray from this narrow path, for if you move to your left or to your right you will be lost. It is a slippery slope. But do not err off the line, for you will and you if you do not err off the line, you will surely arrive at your final destination. And I think I cur- Key of Furniture speaks to something that's built into the fabric of all modern humanity. And if you laughed at the last paragraph, you're picking up probably what I'm, where I'm going with this. We all desire to have the steps laid out for us. You do this, and then you do this, and then you'll be happy. Seven steps to living your best life. If you follow the right steps, if you pay attention to the instructions and the rules, if you have the map and follow it accurately, the end reward will be a perfectly made cheap desk. I mean, sorry, a a happy life or a new career or a new family culture or a right relationship with God. I mean, let's face it, face it. Things are easier when you have this obvious set of step-by-step instructions, when things are either right or wrong. All you have to do is follow the rules. What do I need to do to achieve this? Here, it's laid out for me. Just follow this linear progression. We love our linear progressions. And this pull towards formulas for life are no more apparent than in religion and in spirituality. In all religion and spirituality, and of course, We as Christians and Christianity is not exempt. Throughout Christianity, churches have come up with all kinds of different formulas for how to become a Christian or to how to uh, become a welcomed insider as a member through specific steps of discipleship. Follow this specific path, and you will know God and be accepted. For those of us who have been in the church of North America for a long time, how many of us were taught that to become a Christian, you had to pray the sinner's prayer? I'm trying to think, is this like the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s? Go earlier? 60s? 50s? Anyway. And here I thought it was just for my generation, but it goes long before. Ask Carl. Ask Carl. Carl, did you pray the sinner's prayer? No, oh, we know where Carl's going. (laughs) Now, so that's the idea though, right? If you really wanted to receive salvation, to be saved from the fires of hell, you had to pray this particular formula and you would move. There was a line, right? You had to move across it from unsaved to saved. Say this phrase and you've just crossed this line you pray this particular form, and you would crew across the boundary from an unsaved heathen bound for damnation to a born again child of God bound for glory. Now, don't get me wrong. The prayer itself is a way of expressing what's truly in a person's heart. Their desire to turn from one life towards Jesus is actually very beautiful and powerful. God uses prayers like this to change people's lives. I mean, I myself prayed this prayer, and it was significant for me. So I'm not, I'm not slamming on prayers or this prayer. In fact, I probably prayed it five to ten times, right? <laughs> because, you know, that's what we all did, right? You never quite achieved exactly what you thought you had. So I'm not critiquing it as a meaningful prayer. But I do want to question the idea that there is a line. I want to question the idea that there is a boundary. And that there is a formula that when you do it right, you move from one side of the line to the other. From undeserving orphan to beloved child based on some formulaic thing. From dead to alive or from outsider to insider. And the church throughout the ages, the last few centuries, particularly since this thing called the Enlightenment, and here in the West specifically, we've tried to identify formulaic, linear, systematic understandings of coming to faith in Jesus. Systematic ways of entering the community of church. And many of these ways are, have beautiful and wonderful things, but, it is the, but they have been turned into Rules. And many of these, at least in the Western church, are based on cognitive assent. The idea that your brain, cognitive, or your intellectual understanding, has assent. So assent means agreeing to it. In other words, the idea that faith in Jesus, the authenticity and meaningfulness of your relationship with God, is identifiable by your intellectual understanding of and your agreeance with certain concepts and ideas. And we mark whether someone is in or out based on their ability to speak back these intellectual concepts. That's the idea that faith in Jesus, your authentically and meaningfulness of your relationship with God is based in an intellectual understanding The idea that someone can evaluate the level of faith by the level of cognitive assent. This idea in Western modernity that faith is primary about cognitive belief is why it is common for churches to require certain steps to become part of the church. A required baptismal class, for example. If you want to be part of our church, you first need to be baptized. And it has to be done in the exact way that our particular church wants you to be done. But before you can be baptized, well, unless you're a baby. But I'm guessing none of you here are babies. So I'm going to take out infant baptism. But before you can be baptized, you are then required to take a non-optional class where you learn all the things that you need to intellectually assent to before you can be baptized and join the community of faith. I mean, I remember doing all that as a teen. We even had, we had a test on it. Did anyone else have a test in their baptismal classes? Oh, oh wow. So apparently, I, I'm... Anyway. <laughs> Some more things for me to work out in therapy, I guess. there. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong, again... Anyone who knows me knows that I'm a huge fan of learning. I'm a huge fan of education. One of my personal primary ways of connecting with God is learning and thinking and reading and podcasts. So I'm not not challenging the idea of growing and understanding. I think it's important. I think all of us need to do it. But I do challenge the idea that it is an intellectual grasp of ideas that is a measurement of faith. instead of just one means of deepening in our understanding of God and growing closer to God. If you disagree with me, I would challenge you to speak to someone who has intellectual disability and tell them they have no right to faith. It's, there's no other, right? Some people cannot understand theology and to tell them that it is about what you can understand is to say there are people who can never enter the kingdom of God because of the way that God made them. Anyway, just something, again, a, a, a theological, a brain teaser for those of you who are like me and like to think through <laughs> theological problems. But Not long ago, Canadian churches, we used to use these uh, terms, and I'm not going to try to guess the dates of it. There were the three B's believe belong become so first you had to believe and then there's that cognitive ascent again once you believe then you can belong then you can belong to God and belong to the church but you didn't need to but you didn't actually belong to either God or the church until you believed and then once you belong then you can become then the process of life change of becoming more like Christ can begin but you need to believe first you need to belong second and then you need. Then you can start to become. However, I don't know about you, but I know many people who love God that quite frankly were becoming more like Christ long before they ever joined a church and some long before they even believed in Jesus. Then, of course, there are Christian traditions that use a more experiential way of drawing lines of who's in and who's out. For example, if you haven't spoken in tongues, you don't have a true faith, a full faith, or if you haven't given a certain level of financial sacrifice, you are lacking in faith. You remain on an outside of true Christian church. Now, there is language that helps. I think helps understand this. Again, though, this I've got to admit, this is part of my personal leaning towards cognitive uh, understanding, and this is something that's called set theory. Set theory is originally a branch of mathematics, um, but has been used in philosophy and sociology, and and over the last few decades, it's been applied to ecclesiology, and ecclesiology is just the fancy word for study of the church, studying what it means to be the church. Now, don't worry, you don't need to understand the mathematical equations behind this. I don't, Um, but I'll give you the the dumbed-down, pastor-accessible version. (laughs) First, we have what is called a bounded set. I have a a picture for what this looks like. In a bounded set, you have this clear boundaries of who's in the inside and who is on the outside as identified by the red circle. Now, it's interesting, as I was looking these up, something, an, an interesting boundary that was inherent in the people, the original, the older versions of this one for churches. Interestingly, the people on the inside were white. And the people on the outside were black, which wasn't intentional, of course, but then I think also maybe says something that underlies some of our North American understandings of in and out. But anyway, so I found one where everyone's the same color or not color, I guess is black. So in this, um, sorry, I I, of course, lost myself. Right, so uh, in the bounded set, you have these clear boundaries. Who's on the inside and who's on the outside, as identified by the red circle. So all of the examples I've given so far are bounded set understandings of faith and belonging. So the boundary for who is in and who is out, it may be baptism. So in, you're, if you haven't been baptized, you're in the out part of the circle. But then doing that physical act, you've now been put inside, right? Right. So only only baptized people fully belong. Or some traditions, it's your willingness to affirm and sign off on certain creeds. You need to agree to specific understandings of Scripture or of God, and you need to sign off on it. But if you disagree, or even if you just have a slightly different perspective, and you make the mistake of telling the church leaders you have a different perspective, you will actually remain outside. So maybe you can hang out with the church community, but you always know you're actually outside of that red line. Some churches will have this around communion. You aren't welcomed at the table of grace unless you've gone through the appropriate steps to cross over that red line. But once you have gone through the steps, you've, once you've followed all of the instructions, now you're able to receive God's grace given through Jesus in the bread and the wine. In the Bible... We do see the center approach to religion. Israel, God's chosen people, actually began as a center set. In the sense that what defined them as inside or outside was blood, right? You're either born as an Israelite, and therefore you're inside. Oh, you can go, leave it on the, we're not on that one yet. Sorry, sorry Parsa. Um, you're So if you're born as an Israelite, you're inside, but if you weren't fortunate enough to be born, you were an outsider, right? It's a bounded set. We see this also in the practice of circumcision in the Old Testament, where right from the beginning in Genesis 17, all males born into this family, so it wasn't just enough to be born into it, you also then had to be circumcised, and therefore circumcision was a physical sign that a male child is part of the covenant people of God. So circumcised, snip, snip, you're in. Uncircumcised, you're out. Even if you had the blood, you're, you're out. Now, obviously, this is very simplistic, but we don't have time to go into the entirety of the Bible at this point. If you want to talk about that more, I'm, I'm, the more nuances of it, I'm happy to. Um, but as far as telling who's in and who's out, this was pretty cut and dry. Sorry, that was a bad joke. I I should have nipped that one earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when the Israelite people of God and so many with and it's true, so many Christians, there were these instructions and formulations determining clear boundary lines for who is in and who is out. But if we focus on that, we're okay with it. But even in the Old Testament, God, even though God is the one who said this, in the Old Testament, almost right as as fast as he set this up, God begins to chip away at those boundaries. The law making provisions for non-Israelites to join into the family of God. Prophets speaking of God drawing non-Jewish Gentiles into the family. Even right away, God says, here's, here's what it means to be inside, but I'm not going to right away start breaking these down and start finding ways for other people to join in. And then Jesus shows up. And he blows all understandings of who's in and who's out, out of the water. He shares table fellowship with those who are irreputable. Tax collectors, prostitutes, women who are ceremonially unclean. I mean, let's be honest, And that women in general, his relationship with them was completely inappropriate and irreprutable. People of other nations that the Jews considered disposable, he considered his insiders. He reinterprets the law of Moses time and time again to be inclusive of those whom the Pharisees and other religious leaders excluded based on those exact same laws. So any center-set mentality of who is in and who is out, Jesus not only tore them down, but he often f- even flipped them backwards. If you were so sure that you were an insider compared to those people, chances are it's actually now you who is on the outside. Just by you thinking that, you're probably on the one on the outside, not the inside, if you look at others as those people. Those who are on the margins are now in the center. Take that giant plank out of your own eye instead of focusing on that little tiny speck in your friend's eye. Those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And we see this work of Jesus continuing in his followers. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a number of the letters that we have in the New Testament, he often writes about circumcision. In the extravagantly inclusive people of God who in Jesus were meant to have freedom, Paul says those who push for circumcision as a necessary rule to follow, they're putting a terrible weight on those who are meant to be free. Paul writes about circumcision in Galatians 5.1 in a continuation of talking about it. Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The the story from Acts that was read for us is one of these moments in Scripture that we see very clearly what God is up to in breaking down human formulas for who's in and who's out. The story takes place sometime in the first decade or so after Jesus had died, after he rose again and then ascended to the Father. Jesus' followers were continuing to live out the good news of God's kingdom and sharing the story of Jesus with everyone that they could. Well, really, up to this point, they weren't actually sharing it with everyone. If you pay attention, up to this point, they were sticking just to telling their fellow Jews. And then one day, well, Peter, who's one of Jesus' first followers, he's playing on a, praying on a roof. He had this vision of a sheet coming down to earth. And hanging and on this sheet was all kinds of animals that the Jews weren't allowed to eat because they weren't considered kosher. That means they'd be unclean. If they were to, to kill and eat it, then the person doing that would become unclean according to Jewish ceremonial laws. Peter, God tells Peter, who had never broken these laws, to get up and kill and eat these animals. But Peter, who never had broken these laws, was like, no way, God. I've never eaten something that's impure or unclean. And God says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And what Peter didn't know was that miles away, God was also speaking to a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And God was telling him to send men to go find Peter and bring Peter to them to share the good news of Jesus with Cornelius and his family. Part of this is important to know that Cornelius was a Roman soldier. So in the eyes of a Jew, he was as as outside in the outside circle as you could get. Not only was he not part of the people of God, what the Jews called a Gentile, which is just a word for anyone who wasn't Jewish, but as a centurion, he was actually part of the people who were oppressing the Jews. So he was an outsider who was also an oppressor. In Jewish eyes, and so in Peter's eyes as well, Cornelius was the epitome of an unclean outsider, which is ironic because Cornelius actually loved God. Cornelius loved the Israelite God, but he was still an outsider, and nothing he could do would bring him across that red line. But God has said, do not call anyone impure or unclean whom God has called clean. And so Peter goes to the home of the Roman centurion. Peter has to break all the rules of who's in and who's out. God uses this moment not only to bring salvation to Cornelius and his entire household, but God uses this moment to bring salvation to Peter and to the church. God uses it to bring salvation from slavery to a bounded set approach to belonging in the people of God. Another example of the humanly offensive, extravagant inclusivity of God Now, one of my favorite parts of this story is that God brought Peter to Cornelius' household so that Peter could tell them the good news about Jesus, right? Now, I don't know if this is because Peter's preaching was just too long or what. Uh, But uh, before Peter's sermon was even done, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. There's kind of that intellectual ascent again. It's important for them to hear the message, But God didn't even wait for Peter to finish his argument. He was still preaching. And God's like, okay, Peter. (laughs) Okay, that's enough. What really makes a difference is the presence of my spirit. So, okay, you can shut up now. Boom. God's spirit comes on all of them. I'm not going to let you think this is happening because of your good preaching. Or the sinner's prayer. Or a formula of discipleship. Like preaching, then baptism, then spirit. I know this meeting for the pastor for coffee is supposed to be someplace in there as well. To believe or belong or become. I'm, going, I'm not going to let you think there's one set pattern for how someone comes to follow me. Faith isn't an Ikea desk. It is my spirit's work in people beyond any rules or systems or appearances that's why it's impossible for us to read scripture and go this is the order of events that need to happen for you to be able to say you know god because there isn't one every single story of someone coming to know god is different than every other story in the scripture and this isn't by accident i don't think it's by accident and so we see this story continuing through the new testament god drawing people who to jesus who we would never would have expected or imagined And quite frankly, in times, people we never even necessarily would have wanted. We see God's Spirit moving in people's lives in a way that break all of our conceived notions of patterns for belief and linear progressions of discipleship. So if God is doing this work of breaking down our boundaries of deciding who's in and who's out, and calling us instead to celebrate the non-uniform work of the Holy Spirit in each life, then how do we know who's part of our community and the people of God? How do we know who's in and who's out? Now, I want to go back to that set theory concept. Then a second type of set from, from bounded set is called centered set. Now you can put that on, Parsa. So in centered set, if you can see the arrows, if I focus on the arrows, there are no longer boundary lines that need to be crossed. But belonging is actually defined by what is in the center. What is your core? And anything that moves towards it is now, is belongs, right? So therefore, groups are defined by what is at the center, what is your core? In faith terms, as you see in the picture, those who are moving towards the center, those who are moving towards Jesus, belong in this concept. However, even in the centered set, as you see in the blue line, there are clearly defined lines of who's in and who's out. Right? It's only the people whose little red arrow is pointing at the, at, towards God that is in. One problem, of course, I know if, I'm just speaking for myself, and maybe some of you can relate to this, but I'm not always moving towards Jesus. My little red line isn't always pointing right at him. I mean, I want it to be. That's my desire, or at least that's my desire is that my only desire would be to always be moving towards Jesus. But let's be honest. Depending on the day or the moment, sometimes we're moving towards Jesus, but sometimes we're not. We're always moving. We're never static. We're never sitting still. So if we're moving in this direction, we don't just stop and not move. We're always moving. So if I'm not moving in this direction, I'm moving in a direction. And it's true for all of us. If I was in this diagram, perhaps right now, my little red arrow would be pointing towards Jesus. But then if you made a diagram of me tomorrow, perhaps part of my day, perhaps that arrow would point a little less towards the center. Take another snapshot when I'm at my lowest, when I've given into to sin or fallen into unhealthy patterns, my arrow would be pointing away. Not that I have any of those. Just kidding. I obviously do. So if you made a diagram, uh, and so it, in which case, at least for that moment, in this centered in this um, centered set, I would no longer belong. I would be in the out category. We all would be fluctuating constantly between I'm in now, I'm out now, I'm in now, I'm out now. Or but our belonging. But we know that our belonging in God does not depend on our ability to, and capacity for perfection. But on the perfect, unfailing, always forgiving, extravagantly inclusive love of Jesus. Our belonging doesn't shift and change depending on our brokenness, our weakness, or our shame, or unhealthy patterns. But it actually stays steady and sure because we are adopted as beloved children of God. And so I think that there is a third set that better represents a core value at least for us here at spring garden as we seek to understand and to practice belonging and it's called fuzzy set you think for a mathematical set there would be something a little less i don't know fuzzy about it but the lines are gone and where there are lines so some fuzzy sets do have lines but they are fuzzy they are undefined you can't say clearly exactly If someone is on the line, through the line, coming towards the line. And this is frustrating for people who want clearly defined lines of who's in and who's out. Of what it means to be part of the church. This is frustrating if you want to really be able to say, that person is born again and that person is not. Fortunately, I don't think God ever wants us to make those judgments on people. So this is going to be, so actually, those who've been part of our community here, there's probably a lot of you who have been frustrated with us on this. We don't have a specific set of doctrines you have to believe in to find a home with us. Now, we do have different steps of discipleship we encourage as part of maturing faith. We do believe that baptism is an important part of following Jesus for faith, both individually and community. But you don't need to be baptized to belong with us. Where you are in your journey, it is our hope and prayer that you will come to a place to be baptized. But where you are in the journey isn't important to us. It's that we are working and to, to move towards Christ as our center together. In fact, starting next week, Sam mentioned that Abby will be hosting Sunday morning breakfasts for anyone who's interested in understanding more about what baptism is but it isn't a class that you need to go through in order to get baptized it isn't a class or a test you have to pass i promise you there are no tests and, and hopefully abby we're on the same page on that we didn't talk about it i'm <laughs> just kidding it is but it is an opportunity to learn to have conversation to know more about jesus and about the bible and scripture if you don't know that's important to us we love that but it isn't a hoop that you have to go through to be baptized or to belong with us you don't have to be a member to find belonging, and to participate in communal life. This frustrates some people. We do encourage pe- membership. Well, but for us, it's a spiritual practice of discipleship. We encourage membership, what I call a spiritual practice of homemaking. A personal step of discipleship that says, I live here, this home is mine. I will find joy, laughter, belonging, but also sadness and grieving. I will bring nourishing and cleaning and care for my home. So for this time that I'm here, I'm going to choose to adopt this as my family, to belong and to offer belonging, to serve and to be served. But as many of you know, you can be part of our community and belong and be loved without going through an official membership. We encourage it as a step of discipleship, but it isn't contingent on belonging to the people of God. What defines us, the very purpose and core of our existence as a community, is Jesus. End stop. Now, let's be honest, we fail at this, right? We're not perfect, but this is our hope, this is our goal that the only reason we exist is for Jesus. This is our value. Jesus is our center, and we seek to keep Jesus at that center. And all that we do, all that we aim to be, is to, and to invite people to move towards Jesus with us, knowing that all of us will falter and fail. Unlike a center step that requires people to stay on a straight line to Jesus, we know that life of following Jesus is more like a labyrinth. A labyrinth is not a maze that you can get lost in. A a labyrinth only has one direction. It's hard to follow the arrows. You don't get lost. It will surely end at the center. But the path that we're on winds in and out. Sometimes it winds away from the center by our own choices and our own unhealthy patterns. But sometimes we wind away From the center because God is actually working something new in us. And it requires some deconstruction and some remodeling in the ways that we live or we think. But Jesus at the center, our lives are not straight lines. They weave in and out. But with God, by his spirit, they weave together and surely and safely to the center, which is Christ. Knowing that none of us can judge one another based on appearances, but to trust in and pray for the working of the Holy Spirit in one another's lives as we seek to turn our eyes towards Jesus. Accepting one another as we are because Jesus has accepted us as we are. So when we make things like doctrine like discipleship classes or policies, when we make these things the borders and the boundaries, even though they come from good intentions and can have some beautiful ideas and and learning points to, to understand God better, but when we make these things our borders and our boundaries, they take the place of God. It is no longer Christ who is our center, but it is our doctrine. It is our policies, our our classes that actually become the center. But we want Christ to be our center. We don't want to worship doctrine. We want to have good theology, but we don't want to worship it. We don't want to worship policy, no matter how good or biblically sound these things may be. We want to worship Jesus. We want to be part of a church that worships Jesus as our center. As the one thing. If this is a value and a desire for you, let Jesus be the center of your life, let Jesus be the center of our shared life together. Yes, aiming for. Healthy thinking and understanding, growing together in knowledge and love and intimacy with God and all of the different parts of our humanities, our minds and our bodies and our hearts and our guts and our intuitions, bringing all of this together. We want to do that well, but, but with Jesus as our center. If this is of value for you, where to find that all think, to find belonging as we are committed to journeying through life together with Jesus as our center and our deepest love. I invite you as, as uh, we end uh, to pray, to pray, to say, or just to reflect on um, this, uh, one of our core values here at Spring Garden, to pray it with me. I'll read it first because if you're like me, you don't want to profess something that you haven't had a chance to actually read or think about. We believe in a God who is our center. Therefore, we are on a journey where we are on the journey is less important than that we are moving towards a deeper relationship with Christ. We believe and participate in God's redemptive work in all people, which gives us the freedom to come as we are, to accept others as they are, we each are on a unique journey to become who God has created us to be. If this is something that you want to affirm uh, today uh, as the band comes up, I uh, invite you um, to, to say and to pray this uh, with me. We believe in a God who is our center. Therefore, where we are on the journey is less important than that we are moving towards a deeper relationship with Christ. We believe and participate in God's redemptive work in all people which gives us the freedom to come as we are and to accept others as they are. May we we each are on a journey. Oh, what's wrong with you? You messed it up. <laughs> Sorry about that. Let's do the we each are on a unique together. We each are on a unique journey to become who God has created us to be.